You're listening to Growth Vertical, a podcast that inspires people to reach the next vertical point in their journeys. My name's Neil Patel and I'm a digital marketer. I'll be sitting down to share my experiences to help others find the right strategies to grow themselves, their careers and their businesses. Welcome back to another episode of Growth Vertical. It's a special episode today because we have a special guest here, Mark Lachance. Am I pronouncing that right, Mark? Well, since you're in you're in Europe, it's Lachance. Lachance. Okay. Okay. Is that French? <laughs> but if you're French? in the states, it's Lachance. It is French. Yes. Okay. Brilliant. All right. I didn't know. I did not know that. But yeah, we have a special guest here, Mark. And now, for those of you who don't know Mark, he is the CEO and investor at MaxiMedia Inc., one of the largest TikTok, Facebook. Snapchat and Google Display Network performance marketing agencies in the world. Mark is actually experienced in hypergrowth for startups. That's specifically why we brought him onto the show today. And uh, that's through like creative business development, lead generation. And he's actually had four successful public exits at four different startups. So that's why today we're going to be talking about, you know, how to build a profitable, uh, how to build highly profitable companies from the ground up and how Mark Lachance made four <laughs> successful exits. But before we get into it, everyone, if you're new here, I'm Neil Patel and I'm the growth marketer based in the UK. On this channel, we break down growth marketing and personal growth so we can better growth hack businesses, our careers and ourselves. If you're liking the content, then do like, subscribe and share. Otherwise, do follow the podcast and, um, and let's get to it. So, Mark, thank you for coming onto the show. Um, I kind of wanted to give the audience a bit of better, a bit of a background about what you've done. So like, you know, it's great to have you here on the episode, but before we get into what you think it is that we need to do to influence startup hypergrowth, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, where did it all begin sure. for you? Well, thank you for having me by the way, and uh pleasure to be here, <laughs> but I guess it all starts, all goes back 51 years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't spit out your water. No, basically, look, I, I think, you know, entrepreneurs, obviously, probably entrepreneurs are listening to this. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, there's a good chance that you've had a mega failure. And those mega failures are what, you know, what really educates you on how to take the next step. So I had one of those colossal failures and I talk about it. I'm going to give my, myself a shameless plug. I just launched a book called The Lucky Formula. By the way, in my last name, Lachance, means lucky. There you go. So now you now you know Interesting. The, uh, why I named the book The Lucky Formula. And actually, the book starts out with my colossal mega, mega failure. Actually, and you play, uh, the UK plays a huge role in this, by the way, in my failure. <laughs> because <laughs> I was uh, back in 2006, seven, uh, 2006 and seven. the Brits were actually, uh, many people from the UK were buying up properties in, in northern Montreal, northern Quebec. Because the, the currency was basically two to one. And as if you remember, Neil, yeah. the real estate market was going insane. It was, yeah. Right? So I was fresh off in 2006, fresh off a you know one of the exits that you spoke about earlier. So I had several million dollars in my, uh, in my piggy bank. And at that time, I, I didn't know anything about risk management. And I basically went all into a project that was geared towards selling properties to the UK, to, to people from, uh, from England or anywhere in the UK. And, you know, so it was basically a, it was a log cabin style, the Canadian lifestyle. We were pitching that and we had uh, 200 acres on a lake. And the interesting part is that the centerpiece of the project was, a, was an old recording studio. 
So you had Sting, uh, the Rolling Stones, you had the Bee Gees, you had, you know, mega, mega, uh, the police did, did their albums. Rush, who's a, a pretty popular band in Canada, did six of their albums there. So it was, it was a, the most prolific recording studio, kind of like Abbey Road, I think, in, in Canada, or in actually North America. So we bought the studio, bought the land around it. So the, the colossal failure and the mistakes that I made was, number one, I went all in without doing much risk management on my partner and not, you know, sort of reading the tea leaves on the market in, in the market timing. So what happened in 2007, 2008, I was standing in a trade show in London, probably not too far from where you are, Neil, and there were literally crickets. There was nobody in the place. So we had set up this. We'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars setting up this beautiful booth. Right. And we were pitching. The idea was to pitch our, our properties because prior to that, three, um, three real estate projects were sold out immediately, literally sold out quickly, um, you know, like hotcakes. They sold out within months of launch, and that was the same idea we had. But we launched the wrong time with the wrong business partner. And anyway, fast forward to my time in in England. I was throwing paper airplanes to the Sotheby's agent right across the way because mm-hmm. nobody was in the place. And, you know, fast forward a couple months later, I'm, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy and, and mega failure. And all, all the millions that I put in was basically vanished and gone. But the reason I talk right. about that is, is because – I'm pretty sure that a lot of entrepreneurs on this that are listening now can can really you know relate to this that when you have a mega failure you also have a mega learning experience. So you learn things about risk management, you learn things about you know leading, you learn things about not just taking everybody's word for it, doing your own research. <laughs> so anyway, you know I was I was on the verge of bankruptcy and uh, anxiety, depression, and you know that. Sort of for six months, I was doing nothing. I was watching my bank account go like this and this and this and this. And then until one day I, I got up and I woke up and I said, all right, enough is enough. This is it. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, I, I would have to say that's my my MBA in learning how to how to run a truly, truly run a business. So I, I, that's kind of a background of my, I, I mean, that doesn't give you the full story, but that gives you where I learned the most, where I got my MBA in business was that from there. I think it's pretty interesting that you said that because it's based on experience, right? Like most of us, I guess most of the market or let's say society would say that we should go and like actually get to the MBA or maybe read the guide on MBA, but then nothing really beats the experience. I've been through a crazy experience where I think I know what you mean, right? So you went, you mentioned where you sort of stayed and like watched the six over six months, like the numbers just go down. Now, for me, I think I just got complacent, right? I was like, oh, I finished everything, right? I've got I've got like, the job. This is when I was working, et cetera. I got the job. I don't need to do any more learning. And then I realized I was, I was actually like burning myself, right? So because the market's moving, everyone's still learning, everyone's improving, and then they're outpacing me. So for me, it's just like, oh, I'm at standstill. And then you realize that when I phased into the whole like I say, agency environment, actually going after startups, right? And actually working with these startups, you realize that actually it's not so easy because there's always like a pivot, something that's pivoting, right? In the market. And that, that actually caused me and uh, for example, our partnership we have, uh, we went our own separate ways for on, on, on good terms, of course, but still it was just that stationary period where I was frozen, right? And you only learn because of the failure of, for example, on my part, how not to communicate, uh, sorry, how I should have communicated the message back then to help them pivot through that time, right, as well. And uh, 
you know, it's just one of those things, probably not to the same depth at which you have experienced it. And I do, I have heard that, you know, that was the depths of hell, Neil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard actually when you're put into that position, I can't speak from experience for that, but when you, I've heard that when you put, when you're put into that position, there is like that instant, like turning factor where you've just almost like the light bulb, right? And you just decide to uh, just pick things up and just get on with it. But the, th the thing is, it wasn't instant, right? So I was literally on my couch for six months, mm. you know, just wallowing in my in my fear and my depression and my anxiety. And then it was one day, just the decision was made. I'm like, all right, I'm a winner. I'm not. I'm not this guy sitting on the couch. Absolutely. Do you, Do you think so, people need that though? Do you think? I mean, this is a start. Some up, do. I mean, yeah. Look, some do, and some some can just. You know, it, look. Some you need a shock to the system sometimes. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know. So, but it was a. A lot of people need that learning experience. It was. It was a learning experience. So it, it taught me a lot about leadership. It taught me a lot about. Again, like I said before, uh, risk management it taught me a lot about myself as an individual. And I was early on. I was. I was led around, and I was basically taking orders from the from the boss of the project. He was the expert. I wasn't. So yeah. I had to kind of bow down to his expertise, which was a huge mistake. So it taught you a lot about yourself to, to believe in yourself, to believe in your gut. You know, my gut told me this was the wrong move, but I went all in. Yeah. So why would I do that? So that makes sense. Well, so I mean, so we went from that, right? Like, and what happened next? Cause you have, I think it's been a trajectory since then, right? Like going up, but then now you're at Maximedia, you're the CEO of Maximedia. Correct. So, how the hell did you transition from, from the, you know, like the, I, I was trying to, I was trying to understand that. I thought I'm just going to ask Mark on the show directly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went from it's funny. So I graduated a little bit before you, Neil. I'm sure I graduated back in 1992 university. Right. And I and I, you know, we had the opportunity to either work at Staples or work at State Street Bank for about twenty thousand dollars back then. So I wasn't too excited about either one of them. So I went back to work with my father in construction. Which, you know, that's, that's my biggest why is to never, ever work in construction again. And I, I talk about that in my book, talk about, you know, you need to have a why to be successful. And my major why is to never get on top of that roof in a hundred, you know, I, I want to call it 45 degrees Celsius weather yeah. and have, you know, black hot roof. <laughs> so that's one of my why. So I, at graduation, I, I went into construction, but it helped me get into the sports business because my brother was a professional athlete. And so I was a professional sports agent for about eight years. And after losing a couple key clients, so imagine if you're, you know, if you're representing footballers in, in the UK, you know, in the uh, British, uh, it's called the British Elite League, I, I, I guess, the right? Premier the Premier League, yeah. Premier League, that's right. Yeah. So imagine if you're representing, I had seven, you know, guys in that professional rank and I lost two of them in one year. So that was about 30% of my revenue. They were two of my top earners. Mm. And it, it, that was also a shock to the system. So I learned a lot about, you know, having sustainable recurring revenue businesses. So then that got me into payments. And I, and I saw, you know, I, I saw a buddy of mine who was making recurring revenue. He didn't have seven clients. He had, he had 2000 clients. And if he lost one of them or two of them or seven of them, it wouldn't matter. So that's what got me into recurring revenue. And then from recurring revenue, I uh, obviously, you know, had two startups that I that I sold in the payment space. Got into real estate, got my ass kicked, and then got back into got back into what I knew, which was which was payments. So right after that mega failure in 2009, I launched another company with uh, with partners from the U.S. Mm -hmm. and we sold in 2016. They took it public. So 
you know, that's uh, – and in between, I also had another payments company. So th those are the four exits that, that led to public offerings. And uh, how did I get it? You're, you're kind of asking, how do I go from payments to, to marketing? The transition. I think I, look, my philosophy is this. I've studied with, uh, you know, I studied with uh, Dan Sullivan. I don't know if you know him, strategic coach. He's no. one of the, the premier, I would call him, entrepreneur coaches of, of maybe all time. And his philosophy is if you have the right people around you, yeah, then you don't need to be an expert in anything really. So – you know, so that's how you can transition from, let's say, understanding payments to marketing. Uh, I'm not a media buyer. I'm not a creator. I'm not a copywriter. I'm not. You probably you probably can do all of those ten times better than I can. But I understand how to hire the right people, and I understand how to put the right people in the right places and and motivate and lead by let's let's not by example, lead by example, but also lead by uh, you know watching. It, by inspiration. Yeah. So, so and, and if you have, if you make that mistake, so for example, let's say you're starting a business and I'll get to the entrepreneur's dilemma, which I, I think I named it that, but it, it's, I detail it heavy in my book, but the entrepreneur's dilemma, and this is going to be helpful for a lot of your people, is entrepreneurs typically always think they're the smartest and have to be the best in everything in their company, Right. For the most part, that that's what happens. Neil, I don't know if that happened to you, but it, it was it was the case with me. It still does. It still okay, does. Okay, so yeah. there you go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna this is maybe an education for you. <laughs> so launched that company in 2009, 2010. I find myself sitting at my desk. I have 200 employees, mm. and I, I literally wanted to quit my business. So I was bankrupt in 2008. Right, basically back up in 2008, launched the business in 2009, and in 2010, I wanted to quit it. Does that make any sense to you? But I wanted to quit it because it was incredibly stressful, and I didn't know what I was doing. So think about it. You open your computer, you have a 1,000 emails unopened, yeah. and you're like, how am I ever going to get through this? But you know, so how did I fix that? I needed a business. I needed a mentor. I needed a coach. So I got on Google. It was December of 2010. I'm like business mentor, business coach, business mastery kept on coming up, and that's Tony Robbins' event. So I went to that event, and the first thing I learned is that everything is my fault. Uh, if you're the leader, it's your fault. It's either because of you or despite you, or it's always you know the the, the buck stops at you, right? And I have there's another book called Extreme Ownership. You know, if you that's a, an amazing leadership book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Yeah. Basically highlights the same things, right? So it's all about the leader. Now, so what, what was in, in, in 2011 was this event, January 2011. So a couple of weeks after I uh, kind of hit that wall and had that epiphany. So what did I learn? I learned that I didn't have the right people around me. I learned that if you need to be, you know, the end all be all in every decision, you're not leading the right way and you don't have the right people. So... So I went from having to know everything to being sort of shocked into not allowing others to make the decisions and finding out quickly if that, if that person is capable of doing that. All right. So Neil, you might be saying, here's a, a question I often get. All right, great. I don't have 200 people in my organization. I don't have the amount of dollars to, to go out and hire people to run the, you know, the, the pieces of the business where I'm weak. I was literally about well, to ask that. So, so think about this. If you don't have the capabilities, like for example, Neil, if you're not a great tech guy, well, you go out and you get a partner that's a tech guy. If you're not a great salesperson and you're an amazing tech guy, then you go out and get a partner that's amazing in sales. Mm -hmm. 
right? You need to fill the gaps with the with the areas or the weaknesses that you have. Um, so if you're co-founding a company, like, so for example, we co-founded um, uh, Maxi Media. I'm not a media buyer, but my partner, my co-founder, is a media buyer, right? So I had the cash. I understand how to how to scale businesses, but I didn't know anything about media buying. I know everything about operations. I know everything about sales biz dev, how to hire the right people and put them in the right place. So that's where we are today. So we went from, you know, we, we, we started the business back in, I think it was uh, Maxi Media. We started in 2018 and fast forward four short years later, we're already hitting uh, where this year we should hit 60 to $70 million in revenue from zero four years ago. That's so insane. how do you do that? You put the right people in the right place. Don't be the person who believes that you need to know everything that's going on. And and don't be afraid if you make a mistake to fire. If you make the, the wrong hire, you got to fire people. You just have to do that. I mean, it's it's going to be it's for your sanity. Like I was going insane. I literally bankrupt 2008, 2010. I wanted to quit the company that I just started. It got me out of bankruptcy. Does that make any sense? And if you look back, it actually does because if you think you're going to do everything, make all decisions, it's just not practical or feasible if you want to scale a business. So that's kind of in a nutshell the entrepreneur's dilemma. Yeah, I, I mean, I've everything you've just mentioned, I've actually well I've experienced and started to experience, and I think that's where I started to actually lay the foundations for. Hey, okay, so what do I need to do to eliminate this issue, right? Where, for example, I'm getting involved, and I think <clears throat> it needs to be done my way every single time. And I think I'm trying to get into the mindset now, and I have by let, let's say making the high the right hires for the smart people to tell me right what to do in those situations because they're the specialist in those areas. I don't need to be a specialist in those five areas and then command. It needs to be the other way, right? I rely on my expertise from a strategic level, but then theirs from a very like more tactical level and how we can maybe create that overall strategy to fit together to then deliver the, the end result, right? Opposed to just one to many, it's like many to one. So that way it's, it's a better relationship. And now I actually, I'm, it's actually helped a lot more because now I can actually see clearer, clearer what the next steps are for me to now stop being, oh, I am the specialist. I need to handle this all. I can give it off, right? So absolutely, it's one of those things. Well, the, the other piece of that, Neil, is that it's a morale thing as well. So for example, if you continually hire yes men, yes women, their morale is going to be low. It's like a government organization. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the government efficient at all? Is the government motivated at all? No, they're not. And so, but if you hire the right people and you try to dictate to them, do this, do that, do that, they're not going to, and they're smart, intelligent, and leaders in themselves, they're not going to stick around. It's like, you're not going to have a good shelf life of those kind of people. But you put somebody that's highly intelligent and capable, let them do the job. They're going to be motivated. They're going to be excited. They're going to be, you know, the morale is going to be high and your company will have hyper growth like we've experienced. So Yeah. And that actually, so that what you said as well, right? brings me to the position about the initial the initial position you were in with the payments company for the first one for example like did you have budget like what was the position then did you have budget yeah, was there investors so 2000, yeah my, my partners in the US were uh, a big a big company so i had 30% equity in the company and they were the investment uh, backers and also the banking relationship in canada right so they 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 were able to open the door uh, to one of the biggest banks and so they got us our processing payment. I mean, I don't want to get technical, but they got yeah. us our processing relationship. You need a big bank to do that. So they, they were the ones that opened that door and I was operating the company. Um, so 
you know, they brought that kind of expertise. I didn't have it. They brought it. I just, I had the expertise on how to run organizations, run sales organizations, and it, and it was a great fit. But as I got there, they, they weren't telling me what to do. You run the shop. That was their, that was their standpoint. But since I hadn't been educated on how to run a, a massive organization, the most, prior to that, the biggest organization I, I had ever run was about 75 sales executives. Mm-hmm. I'd never run a full corporation. That's pretty big. Yeah. Right. So I had 75 sales reps in, in from 2000, 2006, where I exited that company as a senior vice president. Um, but in 2009, I had 200 people, you know, basically are reporting into me. I, that was the first time I'd ever run a big organization like that. But yeah. you know, I had the confidence so, that I could scale. Good. No, no, it's going no, I said I, I had the confidence that I could scale because I'd taken, you know, we had three people in 2000 and we built the company to 240 people which 75 reported into me, right? 75 sales executives. So I had the confidence that I could do it again and run the full shop, but I just didn't know how to do it. I thought I did, but I didn't. Yeah. So based on that, I was going to say that you were, you said you were operating across the entire, like across the entire business, right? So the fact that you had the investors, you had to get the payment processor signed off, et cetera, right? Once that was done, I'm guessing you had your own strategy in place or, or did you have a team put in place to run the strategy? For example, we have like a lot of startup uh, founders uh, or listeners even right out there that even say, for example, hey, well, what's the next step, right? We've managed to get like product market fit. We know that, hey, we've got a couple of clients that, that we know will use this product and that we've got great feedback. I think now we're ready to scale, right? And actually see how many clients we can take on board. So. What was the shift between once you got the payment process signed off, we know that that's more of an infrastructure thing for you guys, right? So right. how did you then go about getting traction, right? What was the, what did you do next? How did you tackle that whole question? Well, look, and then it sounds like you have a lot of software SaaS companies that are, that are listeners here. So we had a, uh, maybe you can call it sort of a SaaS model. So our market was, was selling to small to medium-sized merchants. So anytime you use your credit card, think of who accepts credit cards. So it's either mm-hmm. online, an online merchant, or a, a corner store. So we needed a, a distribution strategy. So we had the whole back end. We had the operations set up. We needed distribution. So I had to hire, you know, I had to hire a VP of sales. I had to hire a VP of call center. And our strategy was, which would work well in the UK or probably 10 years ago would have worked well, is we were booking appointments with, with shop owners or store owners and sending a local representative in to, to make the sale, to make the pitch. So we had a pretty diverse uh, distribution network. So we had uh, sales reps on the road that we had to recruit, train, and manage. We had a telemarketing team that we had to recruit, train, and manage that was delivering the leads to these gentlemen, gentlemen and ladies. And then we also had managers that were managing the whole operation. So yeah. it was a pretty intricate setup. So we, we had to find the best people possible. But again, like I said, out of the gate, I made the mistakes in hiring yes men and women versus hiring the best. And I came to that realization in 2010. And I basically, after I came to that realization, fired my top three um, executives and replaced them with, with people that are that were mentally stronger and could handle the job and basically alleviate you know me from having to, to look over anybody's shoulder, which was amazing, incredible. And which allows you, Neil, to focus on what you do best. So that's the other learning that I, I've learned over the years that 
if you're not doing what you do best, what you love, then you're not going to be good at it and you're going to hate your job. So 100% you know, going from 2010, hating my, my job and my life to loving it two short months later was a pretty incredible, incredible epiphany. Yeah. I hear that often actually with, um, with the successful and then like bar the non success, the not so successful, you might have a few, few that fall through the cracks just because they know it and they're very like logical in you know, the entire way through and they just know how to set up the entire system. But I have heard so many times that the failure is either due to you just don't love the product enough to like take the time to understand it, understand the market, test, right? What What's going to get traction, what, what's not going to get traction. And I'm guessing that was the, the thing behind you guys, right? You guys didn't say uh, that this is definitely going to work, right? These, the, for example, the, the high, getting That's in right. the VPL sales and, and the whole, the call center and having these field, uh, sales reps on, uh, on the, in the actual field, uh, to sell and pitch to the shop owners, you actually tested those, right? So it wasn't That's a rinse right. and repeat exactly. mechanism, correct? Well, it's, we, we studied a couple other people's models. So there were, there were people doing the business, right? So for example, your, your entrepreneurs, it's pretty much, <laughs> So what I could say is that you're you're probably not going to cre- recreate the next widget that's you know earth shattering or yeah. so there's all, always other examples out there. So there were other examples. There were you know the feed on, I call the feed on the street model. There were telemarketing models. There were salaried sales reps. So we we tried them all, and but we focused on the ones that that worked better. I mean it's it's a it's iteration, right? In software, you iterate iterate until you get the right the right model, and you continue to iterate. So fail quickly. I mean, you always hear that, right? Fail quickly and make make the adjustments and move on. Yeah. That's exactly what we did. I mean, we're doing the same thing in the media business. We're failing quickly and moving on. And that goes for hiring. If you hire the wrong person, you fail on the hiring, you move on. You know, you make the adjustments. And so like, with, was, that the same, was that the same case? You took the same approach when operating at all of the startups that you actually managed to well, that's the same the same case in the last three because I I just 15 years ago just actually what is that 12, uh, 12 years ago yeah. wow so it, quite a while ago in 12, <laughs> right? in 12 years I went from bankrupt to uh, you know living pretty well but but look it, it, I've used that for the last three companies because that's that's what works best and if you can see my bookshelf right here it's constantly educating yourself and keeping ahead of the curve and you know I think you mentioned that earlier right so I, I think you and you said that you sort of took some time off and fell behind the curve. But if you fall behind the curve, people are going to run ahead of you. So you need to continue to – and here's another way, by the way, Neil, to stay ahead of the curve. You don't necessarily yourself need to be ahead of the curve. You need to have people around you that are ahead of the curve and smarter than you. Yeah. I, I, for example, I don't media buy. We have – now we have about 300 employees in the company, including our, our creators. So we've got about 150 creators that just do TikToks all day long. Do you think I'm I'm a TikToker? Right? <laughs> I'm not a TikToker. <laughs> no. Who's gonna want to watch I me mean... on TikTok? <laughs> but if you see our team is a bunch of rock stars. So I've never shot a TikTok video in my life, but I have 150 people that do. Right? So you don't need to be the expert in your domain if you have other people that are experts in that domain. Yeah, and I, I, I think there was like a sense of evolving over that process, right? So for me, I know that I went I was stationary because I wasn't doing the extra learning. I wasn't te- essentially. I was. Re- I may have been reading, or I may have just been like, "Oh, I've done it now. I'm in the position, so now I'll just grow with depending on what the job gives me." Right. So, but that was not the case. Failed at that, then restarted. Right, and managed to scale things up. I actually put my ass through volunteering 
so that like for free to the point where I wanted to build the credibility to say to myself, Hey, look, if I do this and I run the department and I get the result, I'm going to go and actually take this to another place. So I did that. Right. And it was a nice. race and repeat. And then I managed to get a management role. And after the management role, I was like, okay, well now I think I'm ready to just go by myself and test this out. It was always that I just realized once I got the taste of learning something new, it was always that, oh yeah, Neil, don't sit still. It's totally fine to be outside your comfort zone. And then move forward. So now I'm at the stage where, oh, Neil, you don't actually have to be the expert on, let's say, the LinkedIn media buying or the Facebook media buying and things like that. Because I've got the broader understanding of the strategy, I can implement that for a business or a startup. And then we use, we, me and the team, we run those we run those tactics, right? And we test each of those out based on our own growth marketing framework. And then we just scale the ones that work and kill the campaigns that don't, right? Exactly. But it's it's all from the keyword execution, right? So I would never have found any of those scaling opportunities unless I started to execute. And so I, I get exactly what you mean, right? Rather than sitting still, but it's it's about also surrounding yourself with the, I guess not the yes men, but people that are actually the experts in the industry, which That's right. exactly. kind of brings me to like, I know you mentioned about like product market fit and the issue that you had in, in the past, right? When you were assessing the UK market, for example, right? Um, you mentioned that in the beginning, like, do you have specific insight into like how, you know, how you would recommend assessing that product market fit at the very beginning before you start to burn a ton of resources heading into the problem? Again, it's testing. So right now we have, we're running ads across Europe, across Asia, everywhere. I mean, again, you're, you're in the ad business, right? You understand it's about testing and it's always about testing. So you need to carve out a, a pretty healthy testing budget or call it an R and D budget, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the idea that you're probably going to, going to burn 99.9% of that budget. But the point one that works is, is you can scale to the moon. Right? Yeah. So you always have to have that, that testing mindset, no matter what business you're in, no matter if you're in software, if you're in marketing, whatever you're in, you need, you need a, an R and D budget, a, or a testing budget. You just have to, it's just the way it works. Yeah. And do do you ever see, I mean, that sounds like that's the same setup at Maxi, right? At Maxi Media, because they Absolutely. have to test it across the multiple accounts that you actually work on. That's right. So we, we have a bit different. We're running, we run vertical, we take a verticalized approach. So we're, we're driving a lot of lead generation, a lot of traffic generation mm-hmm. in certain verticals like lending or finance or, uh, or education or insurance. So we're, we're con- constantly testing what, you know, what creators work in this vertical, what creatives work in that vertical, what, you know, what's trending on TikTok. So, you know, a a good percentage of our business is TikTok and that's all about staying up to speed with what's trending and what works and what doesn't work. And so it's, look, it's a, it's a constant, uh, constant evolving creature. Yeah. And so I, I mean, with TikTok being a giant, you know, there's a lot of people diving into that, but I don't think a lot of people still understand that it's still a testing game, right? Some people say, okay, you can just run it and run the message. And it's because of what you say that message is going to work when it's typically not. Sometimes we find, like even with my team, we find that the message that the CEO would give us or or the managing director or founder would give us is not the message that was working, right? It's it's a completely different message. And it's all because the client had come up with the, the customer had come up with that message. And what we're just doing is running creative with theirs, with, the, with their particular words. And next thing you know, you've actually got 
you've covered a pain point, a major pain point, or you've uncovered a main point, a major pain point, and you're scaling from there. Which that's right. So you've done this, like you've done this, like had this successful exits, done it four times, obviously. Um, but do you ever have the same goal of growing a business and then exiting successfully again, or you are just, you know, are you just focused on taking that sort of expertise into places like Maxi Media? Well, right now we're in the process of potentially, I mean, we've got a few offers on the business, so, um, and then I'll do it again, right? So I, I think it's not, it's not, there's two, two trains of thought here. So build a business, sell it, take chips off the table, or build a business for the long term and then, and then grow it massively. So to date, I've done the, the prior, I've done the, the first way. So it's basically scaling a business two, three, four, five years, and then yeah. selling it, taking chips off the table and rolling it to the next one, to the next one. So you can do either way. I mean, I, I don't think either way is the wrong way. It's just whatever, you know, I think that having financial security is a good thing. And with financial security, you can take the next big step or the next big risk without really it being risk, right? So I've got, you know, I've got other businesses that generate cash flows that allows me to take risks, like, like, out, like incredible risks, what other people wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. So I, I think having, you know, having a, a pretty healthy financial backing is, you know, helpful for, for, for growing large businesses later. Yeah. And in line with that, right, with where businesses start, like, was there ever, do you ever think about it in just such a black and white nature where it's just, was there a North Star metric you looked at to just stay focused the entire time, right? When growing these businesses to do the same thing? Yeah, well, I have, right now I've got targets on, you know, sale price. So if we're going to hit X, then then we, we will exit. If not, then we'll continue to grow until we hit X, right? Yeah. So that, that's kind of the, it's kind of a number. It's a it's a uh, it's a dollar amount. <laughs> and do you think that startups should be focused on the dollar amount opposed to like the vanity metrics, right? Everybody's different, right? Do, what, what are you starting the business for? Are you starting the business for generational wealth and you want to hand it off to your kids or are you starting it off for to 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 build and sell? Depend everybody's got a different focus, right? So if you're if you're starting it to build to sell, then you got to have a dollar number or or at least you know, some kind of target. You always need a goal. You need a target. Yeah. So everybody's different, Neil. I can't tell, you know, I can't tell no, of you exactly what to do, but everybody's different, right? I think what's what's important is that there's usually, especially in the marketing advertising community specifically though, when we're actually working with those clients, and I'm sure you must get this at Maximedia, is that there's always that one North Star metric that people usually talk about. Oh, we just, we just need the revenue numbers right now. But then not an understanding well, have we tested the product and seen if they get much responsiveness from the market first before we even start to even look at revenue? Or have we even, uh, you know, if we if we have had some feedback from the market, we're ready to scale, right? We just want leads. No, no, no traffic, no demand generation, no traffic generation, no, let's improve the visibility first. They just go straight into lead generation, right? So I think that brings me to the question, which I think a lot of people would want to hear about is, what your thoughts are? Is it always about lead generation right out of the gate? Well, you hit it. Does your product work? Yeah. <laughs> are you driving leads to a product that doesn't work? <laughs> so, I think your product needs to work before you can drive. You can waste money on marketing. I mean, waste invest money. That's the wrong word. Is waste, but invest money in marketing. Mm. Product needs to work. I, I guess you have an MVP, right? So I, I've never ever 
you know, created a software business or a SaaS business, but you know, going back to the payments world, yeah, our our, our hardware and software needed to work. So if I put a piece of equipment in a in a restaurant, for example, if it wasn't able to accept a credit card, it just couldn't work. So we couldn't launch that business until our tech was up to speed. Yeah. So I think it, every again, every business is different. But if your product doesn't work and you're going to drive, unless you're doing it for R and D, right? Unless you're unless you're testing. So for example, here's here's a good way. And, and Tim Ferriss says he does this all the time. Is let's say you're in e-commerce. And you don't have a product yet, but you have an idea. Mm-hmm. Why don't you test the idea first? You know, spend three, four, five hundred dollars testing if you can drive traffic to that offer or to that to that product. And if you can, then you build the product. So that that's a way to look at it, right? Yeah. So and and we actually kind of do that as well, where we're testing. So for example, take insurance. So we're testing. Can we drive insure? Can we drive insurance traffic? And if we can, we're going to test it on a small budget. And then if we were able to do that, then we'll go out and find the clients, right, that, that are in that particular industry. So it's, again, it gets back to R&D, gets back to testing, gets back to, you know, having a, a pretty healthy budget for testing. I, I agree. I think sometimes we think about, uh, the, let's say something like PPC, like AdWords or anything like that. We, we, we see it for what it is and not what it can actually help you with specifically in the moment, in that moment in time, right? And what I mean by that is, we we think okay if we like push money into like ppc ads for example it's just so that we can generate some leads to try and get them to like demo the product but we don't think that oh let's use ppc because we need to understand what keywords we can potentially use to correct understand are people more responsive to this sort of message or to this sort of benefit and then they want to see the demo of the product right they don't think about that intermediary step they just go straight to or do they want to see the product? Yes or no? And if yeah, they don't, a lot of, it doesn't here's work. What, here's a big mistake that a lot of people make is they, they actually build out the product before understanding people actually want it, right? I, I'm sure you've seen that a hundred times, right? So you would, you're actually – so take an e-commerce product. So you'll actually build the manufacturing plant. You'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll spend money in research and development. You'll spend money in, in perfecting the product, but you don't know if anybody actually wants it. Yeah. The same goes for software. So – I think before you do that is you use a, a simple PPC campaign or a social media campaign and you find out do people actually want this product. And you can do that for, for you know, not a lot of money. And, you know, you can stand up a website or stand up a, uh, you know, a, a funnel, a sales funnel and figure out do people actually want this product. And you yeah. can do that for cheap. So, Which is pretty, pretty like easy when it comes to like thinking about it and just executing just to get some data, right? To understand exactly whether it works or not. Well, exactly. Well, that's been actually pretty good. And I think like I'll have probably one ultimate question, right, for you. And it's like <laughs> everything in retrospect is probably how we should think about it. So is there anything you would do differently in the very beginning, right? Or wish you had known that then that you do now to help with the entire process of building that I'm looking at business? a book called The Star Principle by Richard Koch. If there's something that I could have done differently is I would have gotten into an industry right out of school that was on its, you know, so the star principle is a company that's in an industry that's growing by, I think it's at least 30% a year and the company itself is growing by 30% a year. So I would have found, so where today is all the massive money going? The massive money is going into marketing and it's going into blockchain technology, right? So if I were, if I were young 
and just starting out in business, where would I look? Uh, today, I would probably look in, in blockchain. I was just at the Bitcoin 2020 event, and the amount of capital that's being poured into you know, Bitcoin or blockchain or Ethereum or any of the protocols is insane. Yeah. Right? So that's probably going to be, if and when we sell this business, the next place I stick my nose is in blockchain. Right? So get a book called The Star Principle, read that and just take that to heart. So if you're young, just getting out of school, get into an industry that's, you know, that where all the capital is flooding into. So back in, if I can, you know, roll the clock back in 1992, it was um, uh, the... The, the companies that were rocking at that time were just launching were companies like Microsoft and uh, and Silicon Valley. So if I could redo it again, I would have moved to Silicon Valley. That's a that's a different move. I think you've been like seriously, it's been <laughs> all over the place, right? Like that, I just I can't keep up. But like sports industry, you said you mentioned like being a sports agent and being in sort of like payments processing. Now being CEO of like an advertising firm, you know, is like the difference in in what you've done, right? So, but it. Again, I can see based on the way you thought about everything, the principles behind it once you actually did find out exactly how to, to do things. Well, I don't know, Mark, if, you, if there's anything you want to add to what you were talking about. Um, I don't know if you want to like give like a tiny nugget, a golden nugget or anything for the audience, right? So like specifically anything you should, you feel would help like startup founders and actually ensuring that they can get traction once they've had the product, once they've had successful product market fit, right? Um, any, any advice, okay. last piece of advice? I'm going to answer that. Well, well, Neil, you're kind of cutting out, but I think you asked for the golden nugget before somebody can actually scale a business. Yeah. And to me, to me, the golden nugget is, is working on yourself as a leader. Um, there's tons of books out there. My bookcase is filled with them, but you need to educate yourself on how to become a, a, an effective leader, how to, you know, leadership is key in growing an organization. But more than that, what about yourself? Do you, how do you act as a leader? Do you empower people? Do you uh, not empower people? Do you talk down to them or do you, do you, you know, speak highly of them? Do you, are you positive? Are you negative? There's like, you know, again, I'm going to give myself a plug, but I, I wrote a book exactly on this on leadership and how to be an amazing leader called the lucky formula. And if you look at the 20 points in that book and you, you work on yourself first, then you as a, an effective leader can then, you know, command respect to your team, uh, you know, start working with and, and teaching them, teaching your team how to become an effective leader as well. So I think the golden nugget is work on yourself first and, uh, you know, then you can, you're able to, to teach others how to be an amazing leader. I think that's, that's really the golden nugget. I think that's great to be honest. Cause even, even myself, right. I could probably take away from that. And I think, uh, you definitely touched on it in multiple dimensions, like throughout the call, but you know, there we have it, everyone, you know, even if you're not in the exact industry Mark's been in, right. Or the multiple industries he's been in, it's important to take these strategies and tactics, but test them. Right. Um, and also have the mindset that you don't need to do everything as a one man show, right? Cause that's, that's key in itself. You know, you're going to be sure to measure things, you know, gather the data and run them along long enough to get data to understand whether something's working or not. Um, and otherwise, you know, like there's been some pretty cool principles, uh, here spoken about, you know, on this call, uh, by, by Mark. So thanks for coming, Mark. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but it's been amazing and insightful, and this is a chat I feel people can actually take away some real actionable insight, insights from, especially when it comes to mindset, because 
I think it all starts from even for myself when starting out, you know, with the agency and how it's come so far, you know, over the last year and a half, it's definitely changed, but it was predominantly down to mindset shift more than anything when it came to growing. I could only put it down to mindset shift rather than, you know, or every man for himself and let's just go and do everything myself, right? It's just, it's so much more different like when you're running and scaling a business at that too, getting track, like a lot of traction out the gate. So where can people follow you and reach out to you, Mark, if they want to contact you? So people can follow, people can actually, I'm going to give, give uh, your listeners a, a gift so they can go to theluckyformula.com slash quiz. And that's a, a quiz that'll, calculate your lucky score and and actually it's it's a lot about success and leadership so it'll calculate your lucky score which will basically give you a, a number on a scale of one to ten uh, sorry one to a hundred on you know how lucky you are how successful you are and, and if your score is low it'll it'll give you tips and tricks on how to increase your your luck or your success ability so again that's the lucky slash quiz and you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Lucky Official. So that's M-I-S-T-E-R Lucky Official. <laughs> this is, uh, that's pretty interesting. I might actually check that out myself and uh, have a go. <laughs> so, but um, I can't wait to see your score, Neil. I, I expect you to do that. <laughs> I'll definitely do it. And I even ping you when, once I finish that. But yeah, guys, I'll, I'll link um, Mark's <laughs> contact, his, his Instagram on uh, in the description, of course. Um, and I'll also link to the quiz if you're looking to actually take part in it. Seems pretty interesting. I know I will myself. But if you did like today's episode and want to see more, you know, I'd appreciate it if you hit the like button, give us a follow, or and subscribe to the channel, right? And share so that a lot of people can also um, hear out this message, right, from these particular talks that we're having. Uh, comment below, obviously, if you want to see any specific content or topics on growth marketing or even business growth. Otherwise, we'll see you in the next video. Take it easy and see you soon.